I just want to say that if I'm ever referred to as an awful mistake, you're going to have to send me out to see. It's The Ricardo Project, and today we are talking about Lucy Changes Her Mind. Hello, my beautiful Tropicanas. Welcome back to The Ricardo Project, the podcast where we watch through I Love Lucy episode by episode and talk about its historical, emotional, and comedic impact. My name is Dana, and I'm so glad you've joined me today. I don't know if you can hear it, but in my headphones, my voice sounds very low and kind of raspy. Apologies if it's not so pleasant to listen to. I am recovering from some kind of bronchitis. I'm doing great. Um, It'll be fine. Everything's fine. It's just one of those things where I really wanted to record anyway, and... My voice is not up to snuff. All right. I'm really excited today. We are talking about season two, episode 21, Lucy Changes Her Mind, which premiered 70 and a half years ago today on March 30th, 1953. So here's what happens in Lucy Changes Her Mind. So Ethel enters the Ricardo apartment and the furniture's all been rearranged. It does not look good. It's not for me. I like the way the apartment is set up. Um, Although it does seem like this might be better for watching TV. Anyway, Lucy says, oh, Lucy rearranged the furniture again. And they're like, oh, but she just rearranged it last week. And I have to say, if you have a newborn and you have time to rearrange the furniture, like your experience with motherhood is going a lot better than mine did. I didn't have time or energy to do anything. Uh, but maybe that's because she was in the hospital for like several days and got a real recovery period. I don't know. But Lucy's a different kind of person is all I'm saying. So we go into a flashback about how Lucy's always changing her mind and the Ricardos and the Mercers are getting ready to go out to dinner. And Lucy, first of all, is taking way too long to get ready for dinner. We get a fun quip about how Ethel's always ready on time because she only has one dress, so it's very easy for her. And first, it takes them a really long time to decide where they're going to go out to eat. Are they going to do Chinese, Italian, whatever? They end up at this fancy new restaurant that looks like it's like many floors up, like It is not on the ground floor at all. I know that's a weird thing to care about, but I do, apparently. So they go to this restaurant. Lucy makes everyone switch tables like three times um, because she wants a good view. And then there's a horrible draft. It's like that alone is so embarrassing. We get this fun quip um, where they've all moved and they took their silverware with them. And Ethel says, I've got three knives. And um, Fred says, I beat you. I got a full house three forks and a pair of spoons. So it's it's a really cute little scene, even though it's completely humiliating. And then when the waiter, played by my beloved Frank Nelson, if you want a deeper dive into Frank Nelson, I'm not going to do it again because we've already covered it on the quiz show, which is from season one at the very beginning. So take a listen to that if you want to learn more about this incredible actor. But Frank Nelson, uh, aka the waiter Henry, Uh, with these giant Coke bottle glasses. It's very confused, A, that they keep moving. And B, he is completely vexed by the fact that Lucy continually changes her order. So each time someone orders, um, she switches her order to whatever they have. So first it's sirloin steak, then it's it's pork chops, then it's lamb chops or or something like that. Um, And finally it gets to be so vexing that when it's time to order drinks, uh, he just interrupts her and tells her she's going to order last. At one point, 
After they've finally ordered, we get to the third time that they switch the tables, the aforementioned draft. And when the waiter shows up with their shrimp cocktails, he's so frustrated by all of this that he just hands her the tray and storms out. Very much seems that he quit his job because of how frustrating she was. Now, if this were me, I would be so humiliated. I actually, this is one of the times that I really don't blame Ricky for being like, Lucy, you've got to get your act together. And the next day, Lucy is cleaning out the hall closet. Apparently, she started it 11 years ago when they first moved in, which I don't know how when you first move in, you have to clean a closet, but whatever. Um, He's told her she has to finish everything she starts. And so while she's doing this, she finds an old unfinished love letter to a man named Tom Henderson, who was referred to as a gorgeous hunk of man at some point in this episode. He is now the owner of a very fancy fur salon. So Lucy's pretty upset that they got in a huge fight before she finished her love letter. But she decides to give Ricky a taste of his own medicine, I guess, and she's going to finish the letter uh, to make him think that she's stepping out on him. Which, especially considering that the last episode was the black eye, it's just like a really weird, like, we're in a weird faking affairs era of I Love Lucy that I'm not so keen on, but whatever. Ethel, of course, is like, oh, you're so you're so naughty. And then she, of course, blabs to Fred. And Fred tells Ricky that this is the plan. And so Ricky decides that he's just going to not bite. He's just not going to care about this letter. And we get this really fun scene where Lucy, you know, tries to fake that she's all flummoxed that he's come home and caught her in the letter. And he's like, okay, well, I don't care. And she kind of fans the letter in front of him and drops it in front of him. It's very funny. So finally, when Ricky gets it, he's like, okay, sure. And then he calls her bluff and is like, all right, I'm going to mail the letter. And Lucy has a big fit because, of course, she's like so mad that he didn't just do exactly as she wanted. So that's like tough cookie energy. You know, that's our G-rated way of saying it for Ricky to be like, I'm just going to mail the letter. You know, that's like... Very, very, I mean, that's pretty badass. I mean, obviously, he's not going to mail the letter, but Lucy doesn't know that. So the next day, Lucy's going down to the fur salon, and she's like, I've got to kind of get out in front of this, because this is really, I mean, that's, I know that we've said that Lucy's been embarrassing, but that's embarrassing. Can you imagine? Obviously, again, Ricky didn't mail it, but can you imagine sending a love letter to your ex from, like, many years ago? I shudder at the thought. So Ethel goes with her. They're like, okay, we've got to figure this out. And she's like, wow, you know, then we get the gorgeous hunk of man line. And then this very small, balding man comes out and is called Mr. Henderson. And he is not at all what she imagined. He's so small. And so um, I think he's adorable. But, you know, it's not really the look of like a dangerous lover in the night. So they're like, oh, crap. And at that exact moment, they see Ricky and Fred walking down the street. And she really doesn't want Ricky to see that, like, this is the guy she used to be in love with. Because, again, it's just not, like, the best look when you're trying to make your husband jealous. So Ethel goes and distracts the man they think is Tom, um, like, pulls him to the back. And Lucy goes inside and has to figure out a way to, like, improvise so that Ricky and Fred, you know, don't recognize who is Mr. Henderson. At one point, Mr. Henderson comes out and Lucy has to pretend to be a store mannequin. It's very funny. She does a great mannequin impression. And then she uses the male mannequin in the store and kind of like turns him away so that Ricky and Fred will think that uh, that, that she's talking to a tall, dark, and handsome Tom Henderson. They realize pretty quickly it's a mannequin, especially when his arm falls off. 
they decide to just go into the store and kind of call the call the ruse. And uh, Lucy's really committed to the bit. And she even like says, Oh, we're just gonna learn a few dance moves. And then as she tries to do it, when she tries to dance with the mannequin, his torso just comes clean off. So we're doing great. I mean, Lucy's really killing it 110%. You gotta love her commitment. You really do. Everybody's laughing. Lucy finally just says like, this this letter was alive. Just trying to make you jealous. And Tom is, you know, not as cute. I didn't want you to see him. He's not as cute as I as I remembered him being. And I'm, I was embarrassed and blah, 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 blah. And at that exact moment, Lucy runs out and says, we've made an awful mistake. This isn't Tom. It's his brother, Harry. And if I was ever, as I said at the intro, if I was ever referred to as an awful mistake, I'd need therapy. I mean, I, I really, I, that's, that's, Again, I get it. They're moving the plot along. It's just a sitcom. I'm not like trying to like harp on this. Like, cause honestly, I can hand wave this a little more than other things, but just think about this from poor Harry's perspective. And he's smiling. He's like, yeah, I'm not as handsome as my brother. I'm just Harry. I'm an awful mistake. Anyway, so the real Tom comes out and he's probably one of the most gorgeous people I've ever seen. Like he is chiseled out of marble levels of like swanky beautiful. Can you, I mean, can you believe? And that's the episode. So what do we think? Okay. So the restaurant scene is so fun. I I, I know I kind of like sped through it. It's really because my voice is like going to give out at any minute. Uh, But I I love this scene. It's one of my kind of favorite scenes. When I think of I Love Lucy, I, I often think of this scene. The problem is it really has nothing to do with the rest of the episode. It's just like a little disjointed to the point where this feels like actually two separate episodes of the show. And in fact, as we were watching it, I was like, oh, what happens now? Like, I completely forgot because it comes out of nowhere, right? Like, there's there's no relationship. Um, like, the post-restaurant scene where Lucy's organizing the closet, it could very well just be the start of the episode. Oh, I, you know, I changed my mind again, and Ricky just was so over it, he made this rule, right? Or the restaurant scene could have been the end or or it could have been the beginning where they then they bet Lucy that she, you know kind of like Lucy tells the truth like they bet Lucy that she can't go x amount of time without changing her mind and then we see what happens right maybe they go back to that restaurant and they try to tease her out or something like i just think that they're two separate stories um so as a writer like this doesn't pass muster honestly if we have us in playwriting class they'd be like this is, doesn't make any sense like they're good scenes but they don't make sense together um But even so, like, despite that, I think we get two really iconic scenes out of it. Like I said, the restaurant scene with Frank Nelson is wonderful. It showcases everything that I love about him as a guest actor. He is really on on it. His vocal elongations are so great. They're so funny. And I've really not seen many actors who do that with their voice, who who kind of chew on the words in a way that just saying you order last is hilarious, not because of the snappiness of it, but because of the way he says the word you. It's it's an incredible thing. And I think we take it for granted because his, um, I talked about this in the quiz show, like his kind of iconic thing was going, yes, and like saying yes in this really elongated way that we have seen over and over and over now, and is a very kind of iconic, like little punchline joke. The the one that stands out to me with that is, um, this is 
a weird crossover. But uh, in RuPaul's Drag Race, there is a, a drag queen named Benda LaCreme who during the Snatch Game played Dame Maggie Smith. And she answers one of the questions by going, yes. And it's a very funny punchline. And that is directly Frank Nelson's influence. We learned that even something as simple as saying yes could be turned into a huge punchline. I think Frank Nelson does this scene really, really well to kind of hit all of the things that we love about him as a character actor. We've got great facial expressions. His energy matches Lucy's really well. I mean, the scene just is really fantastic. Great performances all around. And it also does a great job of the domestic familiarity that I Love Lucy really brings to the table. Like, we've all been to a dinner with someone who's behaving this way. And it's really embarrassing. I mean, it's obviously a heightened version of that reality, but this is a really fantastic representation of that. So the recognition of a circumstance is always a win for I Love Lucy. I think it's really where the show shines a lot of the time, is when they take these very familiar domestic or familial moments and then just like raise the stakes, you know, really aggressively. So this is, that's a really successful scene. And I love the first or scene. Like Lucy's incredible physical skill in portraying the mannequin and then it getting ratcheted up when she has to pretend that the other mannequin is Tom, his arm falling off, he gets split in half when she dances with him. It's just a blast to watch. And it, it's really centered in Lucille Ball's talent and um, kind of gets everybody else out of the way in a way that I really like. I, I usually really respond to the ensemble scenes in the show, but this is just a really clean, singular character actor performance that doesn't rely really on anybody else. And it's, it's, it's a great solo performance. So... All in all, as a full episode, it's like a bit off, but as a couple of these individual comedy bits, it's honestly fantastic. It's definitely one of the better flashback episodes from my perspective. And I was kind of looking at the list of flashback episodes while prepping this script, and they just seem to have been getting better and better. It makes sense. They had to spring into action the minute that they found out. Like, sales resistance is pretty weak. Inferiority complex kind of hits emotionally differently now for me, but it's not the best script. But then you get like, the club election, which I think is fantastic. Even the black eye, uh, which I was very hard on. It, it has a lot of great comedic moments in it. And it's like a relatively good script, despite the overarching flaw. And I still maintain that the script would be relatively untouched from a quality perspective if they just removed the black eye component of that. Just have the Mertzes over here, the Ricardos reading the book, think they're having marriage trouble, boom, bada bing. Most scenes are unchanged, and you don't get that kind of ick factor. And then you have this one, which is, like, really, really solid. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, a really great run of episodes. But I'm really excited to enter the Little Ricky era next week. Like, we're officially in the post-baby section of the show. And that is such an a, a, such a dramatic change. I'm I'm really excited to see that shift. I actually am not super familiar with the next episode we're going to watch. We'll get to in a bit. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how they transition into new parenthood and actually really having to interact with that as a concept. So I think this is going to be a really unique and fun time for the show. And I can't wait to see how they finally reveal little Ricky's name. Like, will it be a throwaway kind of like, oh, they're bringing your little boy to the window? Or will it be like a big moment will they applaud will the audience applaud i don't really know what we're gonna see i'm very excited about it though so 
let's get into some historical notes with all of that in mind. Yet again, we're getting into some My Favorite Husband territory. The plot of this is nearly identical to My Favorite Husband's episode, um, Liz Changes Her Mind, which is about four years old at this point. The and, and in fact, the dialogue in the restaurant scene is like nearly verbatim to the radio show. So very clearly, um, this is kind of a recycled plot, which makes tons of sense because, like I said, they really had to move it along to, to get these episodes going. Uh, but the idea for the restaurant scene was actually thought up when this exact scenario happened to the writers. Madeline Pugh kept switching her order every time someone had just ordered, and they were like, this is a great comedic scene. As I said, Frank Nelson is here. He's going to make a few more appearances. He's already been here as Freddie Fillmore in the quiz show. Take a listen to that episode if you want a more in-depth review of his career. But he's fantastic. I adore him. Maybe when the series is over or when his appearances are over, I'll do a little ranking of his appearances. I love him. I just think he really elevates the show. Um, It's always hard when you kind of split from the core four and have someone else come in. I do think that His energy is the most refreshing and new and different and best matched uh, of our kind of recurring characters. So I'm a big fan. The actor who plays uh, Harry Henderson, looks like my hunk has shrunk, my sweet little friend, is Phil Arnold, who will come back again in just a few episodes, actually, um, on an episode called Lucy is Matchmaker. So they must have really loved him. And and I see why. He's sweet. He has a fun, fun, unique voice. He seems like he's very game. And then finally, and I thought this was so funny. So Jess Oppenheimer, showrunner extraordinaire, he didn't want to pay too much for the actor who was going to play Tom Henderson because he literally only says, why Lucy? And like, that's the end. He's on for 10 seconds. So in the script, when they were describing him, they he wrote that he wanted the most handsome hunk of man anyone ever saw for $15.56. And he ended up getting John Hart, who had been playing the Lone Ranger at this point for three years. Like, what a get to get the Lone freaking Ranger at this point to be this little cameo. Uh, John Hart will come back again a little bit later in the series, and he will play the lifeguard who saves Lucy from drowning in the Hedda Hopper story. And he had a very long career, actually. He would be on television for almost 30 additional years. His last performance was as the Lone Ranger on an episode of Happy Days. And he passed away, sadly, um, after a very long life in, in his 90s in 2009 after battling dementia. A very prolific performer, and a very cool little Easter egg because at this point they would have known him as the Lone Ranger, which is just a really neat thing for the show to get. And kind of one of our first overlaps of an already super well-known, super successful performer that we would know the face of. We had B. Benaderet, who was very well-known at this point um, as a radio performer in season one, but this is our first performer who like we would have genuinely recognized the face of. So that's a really fun thing to know. So next week, we will be watching No Children Allowed. Here's the logline for that. The Ricardo's lease does not allow children, and their crying baby causes a neighbor to complain to Lucy and Ethel about the noise. This neighbor is the first episode of recurring character 
Mrs. Trumbull. Here she comes, Mrs. Trumbull. She is here. I can't believe in like three episodes we get Carol Lillian Appleby and Mrs. Trumbull. Ah, ah, ring the Trump bell. I'm so excited to see her. I love her. She's so cute. This is an episode where she's kind of a grump, but then she becomes quite lovely. So I'm very excited to watch this episode. I have vague memories of it, but nothing clear. I'm really looking forward to it. So with that, I will leave you here and we'll see you next week. Uh, If you'd like to support the show, you're about to hear a bunch of ways you can do so in the outro. That's going to roll right now. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to The Ricardo Project, even with this raspy-ass voice. It means more to me than you know. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason whatsoever, you can reach me on Instagram at The Ricardo Project or on email at thericardoproject.gmail.com. There's a bunch of different ways to support the show in the show notes of this episode, but the best way to do so is to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And take a little purchase of Sarah Royals, a.k.a. Lucy, which is the new uh, biography of Lucille Ball that is really worth your time, and I'd love to support a friend of the show. Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll see you next week for No Children Allowed.